Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to MRCC. Welcome to the middle of summer at MRCC. It, uh, it's a little warm out there for my taste, but it's okay. Summer's almost over. Uh, hey, you say that unless you're a parent. I know, I know. Six weeks in, we're like, all right, when does school start? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, welcome uh, to MRCC. Uh, my name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, and we just want to welcome you here. Um, if you're new with us, um, if you want to get connected here, because we want to get connected with you, uh, you can just take your phone out and you can scan that barcode in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you don't want to do that, there is a connect card uh, where you can just get connected there. You can fill that out. We're not going to sell your information or anything like that or show up at your house. We just want to get more connected with you here at MRCC. Uh, also, we do have a few things coming up uh, over the next couple weeks. It's going to be very busy, but it's going to be very, very exciting, and we're going to have a ton of fun. Uh, starting off this Friday is our family movie night. It's going to be 7.30 p.m. is like games and stuff on the lawn. Uh, and then the movie starts at about sunset. Uh, it's going to be over in the annex area in that grassy area outside of the construction area. Um, we have a lot of candy and we have a lot of sugar. How many of you went to the fair this weekend, right? We're just going to keep that sugar high going for your kids. And we're just going to keep going. Uh, and so we just want to invite you to that as a family. Bring a lawn chair, bring a blanket, um, and just come and hang out with us. Also coming up on June, July, almost said June, July 26th, it is a Wednesday. If you are a parent of a fifth grader and they're moving into sixth grade, uh, we have something called the fifth grade move up. And you can come and have dinner with us um, and hang out, meet all of our youth leaders. But also you guys can come to culture on that Wednesday night and just see what youth is about. It's a pretty big transition from fifth grade to sixth grade because they're not in elementary school anymore. Um, and we just want to make it open and available to you to come and see what is going on. Uh, it's nothing creepy, even though I have a mustache. I understand that. But I will say there's uh, a few of you in here that have mustaches and you agree and, and you know, like when you see a good mustache, you have to acknowledge it. And so um, I definitely got a hug this morning because I, I had a mustache. So I feel like I'm never allowed to not have a mustache now. Uh, but don't worry, I will definitely uh, shave it at some point. Uh, also coming up on August 13th is our church picnic. It's going to be the big water picnic. And if you remember, if you were here at the tail end of the picnic last year, uh, Pastor Weston got absolutely demolished and thrown into the pool full of all of the water balloons and stuff. And it was epic. But he also vowed that he's going to get revenge. And so you're going to want to be here for that. Uh, but it is a big event. And so uh, we need volunteers. There's a lot that happens to make this event happen. Uh, we, can, uh, we have set up and tear down. We also have a bunch of uh, serving teams as far as food goes and everything like that, cooking teams. And so if you want to help out here, uh, please just either scan that barcode or contact the church office. We would love to have you on our team. If you want to open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 11, that's where we're going to be this morning. Thanks, Pastor Tyler. And by the way, you're fired for wanting to end the summer. So, uh, you know, that's the end of that. It's good to see you this morning, church. Welcome feels like summer. It does feel like a summer Sunday. Did you make it to the fair this weekend? Um, Ron and I have reached the age at which we go to the fair really just to see the animals. 
and also the livestock. And so it's kind of fun, you know, to do both of those things, kind of walk around and look at people. We walked all through the fair looking for a locale food truck. We didn't find that either. But, uh, but it was good to see a lot of you there and bump into people there. Uh, a, a cool weekend. And a lot of kids in their 4-H projects. It's, it's just cool stuff. Yeah, I've reached the age where I walk around and look at the quilts. I never thought I'd get here, but actually kind of there. Didn't ride any rides because they'd make me sick. Yeah, there it is. Well, welcome this morning. Um, we have a little special something going on after service, I'll remind you, a little later. And that is that the construction site for the kids' building next door will be open when you leave today. And you're invited to take just a moment and, and step into that building. And uh, there's, there'll be a bunch of Sharpies. Find a place somewhere on one of the walls, on one of the two-by-fours. Uh, not on the floor, they tell us, because of issues with glue, but everywhere else in there to just maybe write down your prayer for that building and for what God's going to do in it, in the lives of our kids, and in the lives of the next several generations of kids. You know, part of what we're doing is working together to hand off more facility to the generations that follow us, should the Lord tarry. So you're invited to just find a spot somewhere in there and add your prayers to all the rest of ours uh, as we leave today. It's a great opportunity. It'll only be open this weekend because of liability things with insurance, construction sites, and all that kind of stuff. So um, you're invited to be a part of that. Luke chapter 11 this morning, we are going to continue our journey through Luke's gospel. Uh, remember we said that we're taking this year to kind of road trip with Jesus. What does that mean? We're going all the way through Luke's gospel. And we're doing that for a very specific reason. You and I live in the age of misinformation. There has never been more uh, misinformation available about everything. Uh, than there is now. And Jesus said there would be misinformation about him, called it false prophets, and there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of people using his name in ways he never intended. And he warned us about that. He said, watch out for it. And he said, you know, it's easy to tell the difference. Just pay, the atten pay attention to the real me, and you'll always be able to recognize the deep fakes when you see them. And so we're doing that. We're in Luke's gospel. We're in chapter 11, beginning with verse 1 down through verse 13 this morning. And, you know, here we are in July. We're in chapter 11. You're thinking this is going to go past the end of the year. But actually, no, it speeds up towards the end when we get into the, the passion. You'll see that. But Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Let me ask you this. Are there some things that you are bad at? You know, do you just have some stuff you're not good at? I have things I'm good at, but I also have things I know I'm bad at. And I, I'm guessing that you do as well. Uh, let me give you an example. So, like, try as I might, I'm not really great at romance, okay? I want to be, bless my wife's heart, I try to be, but I often fall short and always have. I, I'm ashamed to this day. We celebrate our 40th anniversary next year, but the whole thing began with my proposal. I flew home, took her to dinner, and here was my proposal. You want to talk about lame? I said, well, um, what do you think, should we? That was my proposal. <laughs> How lame is that, you know, and I can't live that down. Um, yeah, there's some things we're bad at. Uh, I'm bad at decorating, okay, or designing colors or signs and uh, stuff for the walls and all. I'm just bad at it. When, when I was serving the church in Moscow, we got ready to paint the building, and we had a meeting, and everybody was making suggestions about color schemes. We painted this color, that color, what would look good, and I raised my hand, and I wasn't making a joke, although everybody thought I was, and it was a brick building. I said, what if we painted every brick a different color, and it looked kind of psychedelic tie-dye? 
Yeah, they reacted about the same way, okay? <laughs> kind of a polite silence and then a shut up, Pastor Greg, because you obviously know nothing about this. I'm not good at that stuff. I was being serious. I thought that was a good idea. I still think it's a good idea, actually, which just shows you where I'm coming from. I'm also bad at painting, period. You know, like I, Rhonda left to spend some time with her sister a few years ago and she was planning to paint a room. I thought, how cool would it be if she came back and I'd already painted it for her? So I did. She got back and took a look at it and said, that's nice, honey. And then the next weekend, she completely repainted it. And I thought, I was, you know, I mean, we all have things we're good at. We have things we're bad at. I, I'm bad at holding babies. Some good friends of ours had their first grandchild this weekend, and they shared uh, with us their joy and everything. And my first thought was, I hope they don't ask me to hold the baby because I live in mortal fear I'm going to drop them. <laughs> you know? But we have things we're good at, and we have things we're bad at. And here's the reality for all of us is that we tend to avoid the things we feel like we're bad at, right? We tend to kind of see if we can steer around them, see if we can not be asked to do that. And, and sometimes that cuts us off from discovering things we would later treasure. Uh, let me give you an example. I remember when I first started working in the emergency room and the first time we had somebody in who needed significant suturing. They needed to have stitches put in because of their injuries. And, you know, part of our job was to learn how to do this kind of thing in the field. And so the first time there was a big suture job, the doctor said, hey, do you want to try, Greg? You want to do some of this? I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to try to do that. And another doctor overheard that, and so he came to me and he said, you know, you, you have to learn. That's part of what you got to do here. So the next time we have a suture job, I'm going to have you do it. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to be bad at that. I don't want to do it. But then I discovered an amazing thing. I'm actually really good at it. I didn't know that. And so after a little while, I kind of became the ace suture guy in the ER. If Greg was there, they wanted me to do the sewing. And then that turned into kind of a cool, warm thing where I got to help people and bless them and make their scars as small as possible, you know, especially little girls. And got to be a cool thing and a thing that I treasured. And, and the reason that I share that with us this morning is because there's something that most of us feel like we're bad at. And, and because we do, we often in the privacy of our lives kind of avoid it. And that something is prayer. You know, I've yet to meet a person who says to me, boy, I got this prayer thing mastered. I'm on top of it. I'm good at it. I'm rocking and rolling prayer. No, it seems like every time people, man, I wish I was better at prayer. Wow, I wish I knew more about how to pray well. And a lot of us feel that, and then it's just human nature that if we feel like we're bad at something, we tend to kind of steer away from it. E even when we wish that we didn't, we tend to kind of steer away from it. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus teach a man who asked him to teach him to pray. And the Lord understood what he was asking. It's the same thing we feel in our hearts, this desire to connect in a tangible, spiritual, significant way for the inside of who we are. The psalmist put the subject of prayer beautifully when he said this. He said, the Lord is near to those who call on him, Psalm 145. In other words, those who learn to pray experience God in a way that those who don't, don't. The Lord is near to those who call on him, who have learned how to call on him. And so this morning, that's what God wants for us, for you and for me. 
He wants to teach us about the gift of prayer. And, and we find this happening in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the scripture tells us. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. That phrase, in a certain place, is colloquial to the time. It means nowhere special. He didn't go to a special place. He was just praying where he was. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I want to experience what you're experiencing. I want to do what I just saw you doing. Lord, Teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And, you know, some of those who are following the Lord at this point were originally disciples of John, and then John pointed to Jesus and told his disciples, hey, he's the real deal, follow him, I was just getting you ready. And the disciple, this disciple was probably one of those, says, teach us like John did. In other words, this disciple saw something that Jesus was experiencing in prayer, and he said, show me how to feel that. Show me how to experience that. This is a significant moment because the reality is most of us have felt that. God, I really wish I knew how to pray. I really wish I could experience you in prayer. And, and when we feel that, we're feeling something incredibly normal and natural and something that God wants us to experience and encounter. And it's important to note that in the moment that Jesus was praying, when this disciple asked this question, nothing miraculous is happening. There's no special effects. No dead are being raised. No loaves and fishes are being multiplied. The, he's not walking on water. So the disciple isn't saying, show us how to do miracles. And he's not saying, show us how to get what we want. He's asking something much more adult than that. He's saying, teach us to pray. You see, church, prayer is, is much more than just sort of telling God what we want. There's nothing wrong with that. That's part of prayer. But it is much, much more than that. God wants us to experience prayer as a relationship with him. He wants us to be fathered by him in the nearness of prayer. And this disciple sees that and he says, Jesus, would you show me, you know, how to experience what you're experiencing? This isn't the first time he's seen Jesus pray. So this has probably been building on his heart for a long time. Scripture tells us back in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And that's an amazing thing to think about because if you and me were to sit down and think of all the people who probably needed to pray least, we'd put Jesus at the top of the list, right? If anybody doesn't need to pray, we'd say it was Jesus. And yet... He was the one who was most committed to it. He often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. And when we think about that, we start to grasp that maybe our thinking about prayer is a little off. Because the way we think about it, why would Jesus need to do it? And yet Jesus is doing it all the time. And the way he does it, what he experiences in is so strong that the disciples are saying, hey, teach me to do that. See, what this disciple is doing in this moment is, is stopping simply dreaming about praying and to asking to be taught how to do it. And friends, your life and mine changes when we take that step from dreaming to doing. When we say, okay, God, I, wanna, I want you to show me how to do this. Towards the end of his life in 1952, the great Albert Einstein 
who has shaped much of our understanding about the natural world, was asked by one of his doctoral students at Princeton University, Dr. Einstein, what's left in the world for original research? What's left to study that we can learn about that would benefit mankind? And Dr. Einstein gave a surprising answer. He said, we must find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. We must research this. We must learn this. We, we think that Dr. Einstein's head was in the clouds with all the really important things, and he himself is saying the most important thing is to learn about prayer. So Jesus hears the disciples' question, his request, and he answers him, and he gives a very specific form for prayer. It's important that we understand that the form Jesus gives is meant to be practiced. You know, sometimes we say prayer isn't just saying the same words over and over, and you're exactly right, but learning how to pray is about learning a form. You know, if you set out to, to learn piano or painting or how to throw a football, a good coach or teacher will focus on form. They'll want to get your posture right. They'll want to get your grip right. They want to teach you how to swing the golf club with your hands and your body in a certain way. And Jesus is doing that kind of thing in this moment. He is giving them a form deliberately to practice. Not because it's the, the be-all and the end-all of prayer, because, but it's how you learn. Now, I remember when I was first learning how to play basketball seriously and not knowing any better, I would try to shoot the ball with the ball on the palm of my hand. That was a terrible shot. And another guy, an experienced older player, came up to me. He says, Greg, he says, when you shoot, you want to learn to get the ball up on your fingertips so that you shoot it from your fingertips. I'd never thought of that before. Really? And so he said, yeah, just practice holding the ball on your fingertips. And all of a sudden, I started learning how to shoot. There was a lot more to it. I never got great, but I got pretty good. Because first, he taught me that little bit about form. Jesus is doing that in this moment. In fact, the Greek word for when you pray in English is the word for a form. He says, when you pray, practice this form. Uh, use this as a model. And, and then he lays it out. Look at verses 2 to 4. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, you know, we stop there in Luke's gospel and some of us think, hey, wait, I know there's more words because we do it sometimes here and there's more words. Yeah, so we often use Matthew's example of the same moment. And Matthew lays out the words slightly differently because, friends, let's must understand, Jesus was always teaching about prayer. He didn't just teach this one disciple, this one form in this one moment. This was his habit. And so Matthew has kind of what is for us a more familiar version of the same thing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some of the early manuscripts, not all of them, add the phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, an idea that's repeated elsewhere in Scripture many times, so we don't quibble about whether it should be there or not be there. It's a biblical idea. And Jesus offers this form. Some people say, well, Luke's words are different than Matthew's words. What are the right ones? <laughs> and as soon as we start asking that question, we're missing the point. It's not about getting the right formula. 
It's about learning a form that enables us to enter into the experience of prayer. Let's take just a moment and break that form down because it's really significant and really powerful. The first thing Jesus says is recognize God as your father. Pray to him as your dad, as your parent, as your father. You know, as a young man, I didn't have any idea about how to pray. Became a believer after we got married. And I remember the first time at church that I was invited to be part of a prayer meeting. And, and I didn't know how to pray. The pastor said, find yourself a place somewhere in the sanctuary and pray. I remember going and sitting down and going, what do I do now? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. And then I learned the Lord's Prayer. And I learned it the way Jesus intended it. Can I tell you, to this day, I pray it daily. And it has opened the door to all my experiences of prayer, such as they are, has come through the Lord's Prayer. Usually, I, I pray it in the morning after I finish my run. I'm sitting on the porch out in front of the house, and I say, Our Father. And you know what? I get started there, and all of a sudden, I stop, and I'm, Oh, my goodness, that's right. God is my Father. God is my Dad. The Bible says whoever believes in Jesus, he adopts them as sons, as daughters of God. Oh, my goodness. God, the maker, the creator, the beginning, the end. You're my dad. You're my parent. I belong to you. I'm your son. Wow. And all that happens in just that one word. Sometimes I'm there for five minutes obsessing over our father. Because it's not just that. Then I, then I hear the hour part. You know what the hour part means? It means I got a whole bunch of brothers and sisters. It means I live with a family of, of brothers and sisters who are eternal, who are going to live with me at the Father's house forever. It's all of you. Who, and I sit there and go, oh, my goodness, I've got brothers, I've got sisters. And, and, and they matter to God, too, and I matter to God along with them, and we're a one, and, man, I'm just, okay, our Father, I got started, you know? Who is in heaven? Oh, my goodness. This life is temporary. It's passing, and eternity is forever, and we're all headed there. And, oh, my goodness, everything I do here should flow out of that reality because it's more real than the chair I'm sitting on, the body I'm living in. Oh, my goodness, in heaven. Heaven is a real thing. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, God. You deserve respect and appreciation and love because you are good and just and merciful. When we say hallowed be your name, the word name in that culture referred to a person's whole character. And Jesus was teaching the disciple to rejoice in who God is. Hallowed be your name. And all of a sudden, I'm there forever thinking of how faithful he's been, how full of mercy he's been, how full of hope he is. I'm all hung up on that, and I haven't even really got going yet. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Jesus taught us to pray. And friends, that doesn't mean let's get our guy in the White House. It does not mean that. What it means is, God, would you rule me? Rule my heart, my home, my family, my friendships, my work. Oh, God, I want you to show me your leadership. I want to live inside of it. God, I'm going to go through this day today. I'm going to talk to a bunch of people. I'm going to be with a bunch of people. Oh, God, rule me in all those moments. Teach me how to be wise and good and skillful and fruitful. Oh, God, rule me. Take over. Have authority in my life. Wow, you know, we've only gotten a third of the way through the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, I'm not just praying to go to heaven someday. I want heaven to come right down in me, into, into my world. I want to bring it wherever I go. Your kingdom come, your will be. And then he says, 
Give us this day our daily bread. This is a big deal. If there's something I could teach young believers with the experience that I have, it's this. God teaches us to live one day at a time. Jesus says, I want you to live one day at a time. doesn't mean we don't make plans for tomorrow, but it means that in each day, we receive it as it is and live in that day, in that moment. There's a wealth of background to this phrase, give us today our daily bread. See, back in the Old Testament, when Israel was delivered from Egypt and they went through the wilderness, they said to God, hey, there's nothing to eat out there. What are we going to eat? God said, I got it. I'm going to give you bread every morning. It's called manna. You're going to be able to collect it. It's just going to be on the ground like dew. You're going to collect it in the morning, put it in jars, go home, bake it. You're going to have bread every day. But he said this, when you, when you collect it, never gather more than one day's worth. I'm going to give you the bread one day at a time. And if you try to collect more than one day's worth, because some of you are like all type A like that, right? If you try to do that, the second day's is going to go bad in your jar. It's going to rot. You're not going to be able to use it. But the next morning, you're going to get up and it's going to be there again. And I'm going to provide for you in this way the whole time you're in the wilderness so that you will learn that I am your provider, that you're not on your own, that you're not at the mercies or whims of the situation, that I'm your provider. And Jesus wants us to learn that, to feel that. So he says, give us today our daily bread. Provide for my bills today. Provide for my needs today. God, I'm not demanding that you show me how it's going to work out a month, a year, 10 years, 40 years from now. Can I just invite you to understand that God wants to teach you this? You know, when I was young, I was always worried about how things were going to turn out someday eventually. And very quickly, God started taming that in me. He said, Greg, I want you to live one day at a time. I want you to be with the people you're with today. I want you to have your head and your heart in today. You know, it doesn't mean we don't save. It doesn't mean we don't do that kind of thing. But I want you to receive from me one day at a time. And Jesus puts this into the Lord's Prayer so that we will learn that, so that we will remember that, so that we will experience that put off till tomorrow what's supposed to be put off till tomorrow. Jesus said each day has enough trouble of its own. Live one day at a time. And then he said, if you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, this is a promise God makes to you. If you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll provide for you all the way. All these other things will be provided for you. When you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, you're going to do things like go to work. You're going to work hard. You're going to honor your employer. But you do that, and I'm going to provide for you all the way to the end. And Jesus builds that into the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. That's a reminder. You know, the first person who's set free when you forgive somebody is you. And the second one is them. But behind this is an even bigger idea. Jesus says, with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. So I learned as a young believer again that when I see my screaming need for God's grace, I actually get to choose how much grace I get. And I get to choose that by how much I give. <laughs> the more I give it, the more I can be sure I will get it. And so Jesus builds that into the Lord's Prayer. He says, hey, when you realize your failures, your sins, and you recognize where you've gone astray, know this. You can rest in knowing that I'm giving you my grace as you give it to those around you. So forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Then finally, he wraps it up and he says, lead us not into temptation. Sometimes we get the crazy idea that somehow we're asking God to not, because he might lead us into temptation. That's not the idea. The idea is that God steer us away from it. Steer me away from it. 
I remember when we first moved to Enumclaw 17 years ago and we chose a house in a little development that was right next door to the 7-Eleven. <laughs> My wife said, that's going to be a temptation for you, you know, because I know your diet and what you like to eat and it's going to be right next door. So you need to pray, lead us not into temptation every single day when you leave the house. But the idea is that God says, hey, show me how I can steer around it, you know, real temptation. Show me how I can avoid it. That's part of the prayer. And Jesus says, well, if you practice this kind of prayer, you will experience the nearness of God. The Lord is near to those who call on him. The disciples said, Jesus, I want to experience your intimacy with the Father, what I see happening in you when you pray. Hey, Jesus says, it will, you will, as you practice this form. So the Lord says, practice this, and you'll discover something you didn't know was always there. Let me say that again. Practice this, and you will discover a presence that was always there. You just never noticed it. That's what prayer does, in addition to all the other aspects of it, receiving our heart's delight and help and all that kind of thing. Now, as soon as Jesus said that, he didn't stop and say, that's it, I'm done. In fact, he told a story, and that's the second half of our time together. He told a story because prayer, friends, is not primarily a technique. Jesus gave us kind of a methodology to practice, but the point of the methodology is a certain attitude. And he tells a story to shape our attitude about prayer. And that's what we see beginning in verse 5. Look at what he says. Then he said to them, so he's taught them this form, and to continue his answer, teach us to pray. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though this man won't get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Then Jesus is going to go on and say, if that man is willing to give, even though he's reluctant, how much more will God give because God's not reluctant? Now, there's a little culture sh uh, stuff we got to understand here that makes this story make more sense to us. So let me give you three things about this story that you want to understand in order to understand the story. And the first thing is this. Hospitality in that time and place was a sacred responsibility. If somebody comes on a journey to your house, your responsibility to provide for them is a big deal. It still is today in much of the Near East. And it didn't just extend to a family, it extended to a whole village. So this man's going to another man's house to get bread is, is not out of the ordinary at all. In fact, it's, it's kind of expected. And so there's this sacred responsibility for hospitality. And it's acute in this case, because remember he says, the guy comes to him at midnight. In that culture, you baked all your bread in the morning, you ate it throughout the day. By the end of the day, there isn't any left. And this guy doesn't have any left, but now he has an unexpected visitor. And so he's kind of, you know, panicking a little bit. The second thing we want to understand is that in that culture, the front door of your house was almost never shut. In that culture in those days, it seems weird and alien to us, but in those days, the front door would be left open all the time so that people could come in and encounter you in your home. It was considered inhospitable to close the door. In fact, you only close the door in extreme circumstances. 
And so this man comes and finds his neighbor's door closed. And that means, boy, there's something going on that means, you know, you're not welcome to come in. So we want to understand that. And the third thing we want to understand is that families in those days would sleep on a big mat and everybody would kind of be together on the same mat. And typically, mom and dad would be kind of in the back against the wall or against the corner, and then the kids scattered around them. So when the guy says, hey, I can't get up, what he's saying is, I don't want to wake everybody up. If I get up to come meet you, I'm going to wake my whole family up. The baby's going to be crying. The dog's going to bark. It's going to be a mess. It's inconvenient for me in this moment. And so the guy says, I have all these reasons, you know, that are in the way, but then... The point of Jesus' story is this. He says, because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. What does he mean? Well, what he means is very simple and direct. The word boldness means his confidence in his relationship with that man. Sometimes in our time, the idea has been put out. It's a silly, stupid, demonic idea that boldness means we go to God and demand our rights as children of God. Jesus knows nothing of that attitude, and that's not what's being taught here. The boldness is a little different than that. The boldness is a confidence in relationship, a knowing that you're connected, an understanding that you can knock on a closed door, that you can disturb this particular friend, even though he's asleep with his family. They, each of us has got some people in our lives that we know we could approach in any situation for help. And because of relationship, we know they would be there for us. I'll paint a picture for you. Tuesdays in the church office are sermon days for me. And so from Tuesday morning when I get in till the end of the day, it's all prayer and preparing for Sunday. Study, getting ready to bring the Word of God. The staff knows that. Secretary knows that. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to get in touch with me on a Tuesday. It has to be something pretty extreme. But there's an exception to that rule. When our son lived with us, he knew that any time he came by the office, he could come right into my office, even on Tuesdays at any time. Sometimes when we'd have a new secretary or a new staff member and Isaiah was a teenager, he'd show up after school and come to my office and they'd all be going, no, you can't go in there, you can't go in. He's like, watch me. <laughs> because he knew that he was welcome, even though it was Tuesday. That's the boldness Jesus is talking about. And that's what he wants you to feel about going to God in prayer. Knock on the door. Come right into the, as Hebrews would say, the throne room of grace. Bring yourself forward in any and every circumstance. What Jesus is teaching is that you and I should understand that the way God feels about us makes us always welcome with anything we bring to him in prayer. And that's a big deal. Because sometimes, again, we feel like, well, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to ask. Hey, my son didn't ask himself that question. He just knew he was welcome in my office. And so there was a boldness that he lived with. And in the same way, Jesus wants us to live with that kind of boldness, to know that we are welcome in those moments. Here's how Hebrews puts it in chapter 4, verse 16. Scripture says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence with boldness, so that may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us understand that we are always welcome in God's heart, that we are always welcome to bring our prayers to him. Above all, Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that, and he wants you and me to grasp it. 
that there is never a time when it is wrong or inconvenient or inappropriate to pray and to understand that our relationship with God flows out of this. So the Lord kind of wraps this up in verses 9 to 10. He says, so I say to you, in light of this story I just told you about boldness, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And suddenly the phrase knock and the door will be open makes sense when you understand the context, closed door, nighttime, boldness. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. So Jesus said this technique, this form, this method, this Lord's Prayer is meant to teach you an attitude which makes you understand that you are welcome. Let me ask you, do you go to God with boldness in prayer? Or do you go to God with kind of a hesitation? I'm not sure. God, Jesus has come to him with freedom, with confidence, with boldness. Someone has said you can tell whether you know God well or not by what you do when you fail him. If you know him well, you go towards him. If you don't know him well, you run away from him. Jesus invites us to know that we are welcome. Yet when he does that, and here's the last thing this morning, when he does that, he also wants us to understand the difference between being welcomed and being entitled. <laughs> you want your kids to know that. God wants us to know that. Sometimes we assume that what we want when we go to prayer is all that matters. But when God is your father and you ask him for what you want, then he, with his wisdom, responds to you. Let me, let me illustrate. Pastor Max Lucado tells a fun story about his six-year-old daughter coming up to him one day and asking him about his work. And as they were talking, at one point she said she wasn't really happy with his career as a pastor. She said, Dad, I like you as a preacher and all, but I just really wish you sold snow cones on the snow cone truck, right? And she was serious about it, you know, and he said, you know, in the moment, I understood that was an honest request that made sense to her. The happiest people in the world has got to be the guys who drive snow cone trucks. I mean, they play fun music, they sell goodies, they make kids happy. Actually, he says, as I sat there and thought about it, I started to think maybe she had a point, you know, could get a loan, buy a truck, and become the snow cone guy. But, but then he says, you know, as her dad, who loves her, I heard her request, but I didn't give her what she wanted. <laughs> Why? Because I knew better than she did because I can see the big picture. And that's the last thing we want to grasp about prayer is that when we go to God in prayer, we don't evaluate prayer by what we get. Very often, that's how we get. But we evaluate prayer by being fathered, by the relationship that it creates. That's actually what the disciple was inspired by at the beginning. Remember, when he saw Jesus praying, there weren't any miracles happening. Nothing was changing. He just saw Jesus praying, and he said, oh, man, I want to experience what you're experiencing. Jesus said, okay, let me teach you how. You know, the Bible tells us that our attitude in prayer makes all the difference. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 puts it this way. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, we pray to him as a father. Tim Keller put it beautifully when he said, in the end, God always gives us what we would have asked if we knew what he knows. And that's actually a security. That's actually a beautiful thing. 
had a guy come to my door once years ago, and he was kind of pushing the whole health and wealth thing. He says, finally, he gets getting a little frustrated with me. He says, why don't you believe that God wants you to be wealthy? And my wife, who was listening in the living room, said, have you ever seen him spend money before? <laughs> no, that wouldn't be the best thing for him. <laughs> and yeah, when we go to God in prayer, he gives us what he knows is best. And that's why Jesus finishes this in verses 11 to 13. Look what he says. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, the best gift of all, the experience of nearness, going back to what the psalmist said, going back to what the disciples saw, will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. God loves us more than we love our kids. And so he answers our prayer out of his Father heart out of his greater understanding and out of his greater wisdom. My favorite Calvin and Hobbes cartoon is the one where Calvin goes to his dad and he says, Dad, today's my birthday. Can I ask for anything? Dad says, sure. And he says, can I have a flamethrower? I'd like a flamethrower. And then he says, I promise not to use it in the house. <laughs> and dad says, no, you're not getting a flamethrower. In the same way, God sees and hears our prayers and knows what we need. And so he says, hey, in prayer, I will father you. And in the end, that's the most satisfying thing of all. So Jesus models this as well. On the last day of his ministry, share a story and we'll be done. Scripture says he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he poured out his heart. In the same way that Max Lucado's daughter said, I wish you were a snow cone driver, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I'd rather not go do this cross thing. This is going to be hard. This is going to be a challenge. This is going to be difficult. And right now, I'm not feeling it. But then he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. And in that prayer, church, he found the power to save you and me. He found the faith and love to go to the cross and to save us. And in the same way, in prayer, we will find what we need when we go to God in the way he invites us to go. Maybe you're facing some tough stuff right now. God wants to meet you in it. He wants to help you with it. He wants to grow you through it. He wants to teach you how to overcome. And that happens in prayer. I said I'd finish with a story. You know, once years ago, I was having one of those sleepless nights. I'm sure you've had one. Just really struggling. A lot of worries, a lot of stresses, a lot of stuff going on. And I, I just couldn't get to sleep. About one in the morning, I finally got up. and I tried all my tricks to get myself to sleep, and none of them worked. And so I thought, well, I might as well do something with my time. So I decided to go into our son's room. He was, gosh, first grader, second grader, something like that. And I said, I'm just going to pray for him. I'll take some time to pray for him. And so I went into his dark room, and I laid down on the bed next to him and put my hand on his shoulder. And no, he didn't wake up. He slept the sleep of the dead. There could have been earthquakes, and he wouldn't have woke up. And I laid my hand, and I just started praying for him. Thank God. And in the middle of that moment, all of a sudden, this incredible presence filled the room. And the Holy Spirit said, Greg, you've got to understand that as much as you love him, I love you more. Even as you're laying here in the dark with your hand on his shoulder, I'm here in the dark with my hand on yours. The power of God's presence was so strong, and I just kept praying, and it just spurred me to 
pray for him, pray for myself, pray for my family, pray for friends. And all of a sudden, bloop, I was waking up the next morning. I fell asleep praying. <laughs> Some people say, well, that's terrible. No, that's actually God's point. He wants to set us at rest. I still get goosebumps thinking about that moment. Because in that moment of simple prayer, God met me in a way I would never have guessed. And he will do the same for all of us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for teaching us to pray. And God, the truth is a lot of us feel like we're no good at it. And so we tend to avoid it. But in doing that, Lord, we miss out on gifts beyond words. And so you teach us, you invite us to learn to pray. God, as we go from here today out into this sunshine, you know, let it be with a strong awareness that you're our Father that we are welcome in your presence and that in prayer we will find what our souls are hungry for. We pray for that, Lord. We ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Just a reminder, the kids' building construction site will be open as we leave. So many of us have given to see that building built debt-free, and that's a glorious thing. Yet even more glorious are the prayers that we cover it with and fill it with. So you're invited to stop by, take a moment, and add your prayers. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you into the sunshine. Go with God and tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.